Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Chapter 15. going to begin reading from verse number 12, and we'll read a few verses of Scripture. And so if everybody shows up, Sunday night, supposed to, Brother Zach McGee and, and Brother James Malone supposed to be speaking to us that weekend, this coming weekend, Sunday night. Amen. So you want to come and be a part of that. Amen. To see what the Lord would say to us, amen, to, through these two uh, young men. Acts 15, verse number 12. Bible says, then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Known to God are all of his works from the beginning of the world. Last week we talked about this whole concept of circumcision. How some said that unless you're circumcised you cannot be saved. Listen to Peter as he spoke about the concept and the idea of Cornelius' house having been saved was saved just like the Jews were except there was no circumcision involved we talked about this concept and this idea amen within bodies of believers amen among us how salvation is obedience to the gospel that nothing more Uh, some other things come along after the fact there's some sanctification there's some lifestyle things that happen but that isn't necessarily the platform in order for salvation to take place in someone's life. So we're going to continue talking about that somewhat tonight. But my subject matter entitled for the next <clears throat> few moments, and it'll probably be close to an hour, I'll just go and give in to it, is return to worship. Return to worship. Because what we're going to see tied here tonight is that worship is intrinsically tied to salvation. Amen. Amen. Father, I come to you tonight, and I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, God, for us, Lord, that have gathered here on this Wednesday evening. I pray, oh, Lord, today, anoint, Lord, my lips. God, your word is already anointed. But I'm asking, God, that these things would come together, Lord, appropriately, Lord Jesus, tonight, God, for the benefit, God, of those, Lord, that are gathered here, God, and for the benefit of the church. God, will be grateful and thankful, Lord Jesus, for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' 
name. And so chapter 15, we, we're hearing from several different people. Uh, we've heard from those of Judea or the Jude, Judaizers that have come down saying, you've got to be circumcised or you can't be saved. We've heard from Peter uh, talking to us about how the Gentiles have been saved apart from circumcision. Paul and Barnabas, just in one verse really, uh, verse number 12 I think it is, uh, give us some type of speaking into this. They give a very brief report. And they basically talk about all of the miracles and the wonders that were done among the Gentiles, the various places that they went. So again, they are emphasizing how God was confirming his word, his gospel message among the Gentile people. But then the scripture says that James, James is going to speak. James is the first pastor of the Jerusalem church. James is, is a Jew. And so this is a place where the pendulum for this whole discussion, argument, whatever you want to call it, could really swing in another direction. And so everyone is quite interested in what James will say. Since he is the pastor of the Jerusalem church, since he is a Jew, uh, he could be very instrumental right here. Peter said what he had to say, Paul and Barnabas said, but James could be very instrumental. His leadership role could be very instrumental in this thing swinging in another direction. Direction. So James is very respected among the societies, very respected among the people as a result of his position. And also, uh, history tells us, Josephus says, that it was said of James that his knees were as hard as a camel's knees from praying so often and so long. And so, if nothing else, that within itself, a person cannot discount the words and the opinions of such a man that has prayed long enough and often enough that his knees have become so callous they are like a camel. I mean, I think I would give some credence to what that man has to say. And so James takes the testimony of Peter. He refers back to the testimony of Peter and what Peter has said concerning Cornelius' house and the Gentiles. And I, I, the reason why I state it like this, he takes the testimony of Peter because we have the privilege of right now, we can go to Acts 10 and Peter's testimony is God's word for today. It's his word. We can go to Acts 10, there it is. But at this point in time, it was not yet in the canon of Scripture. It was not yet the Word. It was just a testimony. Nobody could turn to Acts 10 at that moment. It was just a testimony. And so James does something very important. He takes the testimony of Peter and he anchors it to the Word that they did have. That's important. He took what took place there and he anchors it to the Word that they had did have and so what he does he ties the experience of what happened with the gentiles and the holy ghost outpouring there at cornelius's house and what peter relayed and he ties it to a prophetic word from the old testament that spoke of such an hour that spoke of such a day the bible says that james said that simeon he's look he's even using peter's jewish name you know, all the Jews are probably really leaning in. Yeah, this made this school swing the other way, buddy. We got James in our corner. Amen. So he even uses Peter's Jewish name, Simeon. He said, Simeon declared how, basically how God determined to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. And he tells them that there are some prophetic words, he tells them, that agree with this. He says, as it is written. That's what the Bible basically tells us in verses 14 
and 15. What James is doing here, just to, just to draw some comparisons here, what James is doing is exactly the same thing that Peter did for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. What James is doing for the Gentiles is the exact same thing that Peter did for the Jews on the day of Pentecost. Remember, they say these men are drunk. Peter says, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. He says, this is what the prophet Joel had to say. This is that. So Peter on the day of Pentecost was taking their experience and he was tethering it to a word they had, a prophetic word that they had that was that was um, underscoring, if you will, salvation for the Jews. He said, we got a word that we can tether this to. James is doing the same thing now for the Gentile believers. Amen. He's reaching back, verses, verses 16 and 17 that we read up. He is reaching back to the prophet Amos. And he is quoting, if you will, what the prophet Amos had to say concerning Gentile, no, Gentile salvation. And so he's tethering the experience of the Gentiles to a prophetic word. So see, nothing's going to be outdone here. Jews, you think you got a prophetic word you can lean on concerning your experience. James says, who is a Jew? The Gentiles have a prophetic word that they can lean on concerning their experience. And this is what the Word of God says. You can look at it in Acts 15, 16, and 17. I'm going to read it, though, from Amos, the scriptures that, 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 that uh, uh, James here is referring to. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, this is what the Word says. The prophetic word. It says, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and of all the heathen. You catch that. All the heathen. So we're not talking about Jews. We're talking about Gentiles, and of all the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord that doeth this. So according to James, according to James, he said, Peter, based upon his experience and upon the word of God, that God was going to take out of the Gentiles a people for his name. He says, since God is doing that or has done that, that is nothing more but a fulfillment of the prophecy of Amos. Now, this really starts to rock the boat a little bit because normally it was only the Jews that would have been known as the people of the name. Typically, it was just the Jews to be known the people of the name. But now, Peter and James here are in agreement that God was going to take out of the Gentiles a people, a people for his name. Amen. And so what they don't realize and what has been a mystery, we read in New Testament Scripture, uh, the church, the concept, the idea of the church is spoken of as being a mystery. It's not in the New Testament, but prior to that point, it was a mystery. A mystery is something that's just veiled, something that was hidden. In the Old Testament times, this idea and concept of the church was foreign to the Jews, foreign to, for a greater portion even to the Gentiles. But it's going to come unraveled in the New Testament. And the mystery of the church is this, that the church was not going to consist just of Jew, but the church was going to consist of Jew and Gentile. 
right? Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian free and bound was all going to be a part of the church. And so the Old Testament in various places even declared that, that salvation would be of the Gentiles as well. And also in the Old Testament, it's prophesied many times almost with the same breath that salvation was going to be of the Gentiles as well and that God also was going to establish a kingdom for Israel and the Jews. But many times it was left unknown how those two connect together. All right? In the Old Testament, for instance, where it was declared that there's salvation for the Gentiles, Isaiah 2 and verse number 2, the Bible says, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all, all nations shall flow unto it. In other words, two phrases right there. The Lord's house shall be established and all nations shall flow into it. Not just a Jewish nation, but all nations shall flow into it. Isaiah 11 and verse number 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign to the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious again this is speaking of the the kingdom of david but even further down the line we follow david's genealogy the birth of jesus christ amen it says to that even shall the gentiles seek so in the view of these scriptures and other scriptures like these the jews thought the jews thought that israel was going to have a kingdom that would be established. And whenever Israel's kingdom got established, the Gentiles would be able to be saved through that kingdom. But they really had things kind of backwards. Because in reality, what was happening, because of the Jews' fall, and the Jews' rejection that we read in chapter 14 of the Word of God, as a result of that, God would then turn to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles would be brought into the church. Now, that does not negate that the Lord in some day, in the future, is going to establish the kingdom and the nation of Israel as it once was. That's our Daniel and Revelation studies, that he will establish again the kingdom and the nation of Israel. Whenever we did, whenever we did Daniel and Revelation studies, you'll remember that there were some verses, some scriptures that had what we call dual fulfillment. And what that meant was this. It, it gave a prophecy that was fulfilled in the near future and in the far future. It was a dual fulfillment. And so whenever we even look at what pertains to the Jews for the book of Acts 2, for Pentecost, the, the, the Jewish experience of the receiving the Holy Ghost, remember the Old Testament prophet Joel, what he spoke in Joel 2 was dual fulfillment. There's a part of that that took place on the day of Pentecost, but there's another part talking about signs in the heavens, blood, fire, and smoke, things of that nature. Amen. Uh, the moon being turned into blood, the sun turned into darkness. That didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. That's something for still yet to happen. So it's not uncommon whenever you read the book of Amos and the prophecy of Amos for the Gentiles that it too could follow the line of dual fulfillment. Part of that is being fulfilled in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 15 and their experience. But there's another part that is for the end time. For the end time. But here's the thing to denote. That God's plan for his church, his Jewish Gentile church, does not remove his end time plan for Israel. Okay? Does not remove his end time plan for Israel. However, 
for our purposes tonight, Acts 15, there's some real application that's given in the book of Amos for the days of Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, all of them, right here in Acts chapter number 15. And note, you'll note in Amos, you also know as he requoted it in the book of Acts, this, what was going on concerning the Gentiles was something that God was doing. Look at it. You look at it over and over again. You look at verses 16 and 17 of Acts. He says, I will return. I will build. I will build again. I will set up. This is everything that God is doing. This whole thing of the residue of men and particularly the Gentiles coming in. He said, that's all something that God is doing. God is up to. And so look now at verse number 16. Verse number 16 speaks of a rebuilt, he says, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Now here's something I don't know if you all realize, but in the Bible, there was a time when there was the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David. They both existed simultaneously. They existed at the same time. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know if you knew that. Maybe a lot of people, I think, think that there was the tabernacle of Moses. It fell off. Then there was tabernacle of David. It fell off. Then there was temple of Solomon. But there was a time in the Old Testament, that there was the tabernacle of Moses and the tabernacle of David that both existed at the same time. We'll go have fun before it's over. I've been excited about this all day. I about pulled my hair. Don't have much pulling to do anymore. So two tabernacles existed at the same time. Remember, the tabernacle of Moses, during the time even whenever King Saul reigned, the Ark of the Covenant didn't mean much to King Saul. The Bible says he didn't inquire of the Ark of the Covenant. And as a result of this, there came a certain battle that they went out against the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter number 4. They took the Ark of the Covenant with them, and guess what? The Ark ended up being taken. Anybody remember reading that in your Bible ever? The Ark ended up being taken. And so the Ark was separated from the children of Israel for quite some time. It went through various hands it went through the hands of the heathen it was in gath it was in ashdod i don't want it you can have it i'm getting plagues you take it you know where we to do with the ark of the covenant it finally ended up back in beth shemesh it finally went to kirjath jerim in the house of abinadab you remember that ohio and uzzah that finally whenever david comes going to drive the cart someone dies and so david says take this house up to that house over there obed edom remember and it was there for three months all right right but whenever Saul didn't care much about the ark, but whenever David came into control, he did. That's the reason why he went to get the ark back. He wasn't satisfied with it being separated from the people of God. And so whenever he became king, he went back to get the ark to bring it back to Jerusalem. Now listen, whenever he brings it back to Jerusalem, he has made a tent or a tabernacle of David. And he's going to take that ark and place it in the tabernacle of David. As a matter of fact, for, for the latter portion of David's reign, like the latter three and a half years or so of David's reign, the ark was housed in this tabernacle of David. Now, now just you're going to have to walk with me for a moment. So there were two tabernacles at the same time. Here's my scripture basis. 2 Chronicles chapter number 1, verses 3 and 4. The setting of the scripture is this. David has died, and Solomon is going to get the ark. This, that's the setting. David has, is dead now. Solomon is going to get the ark. Verse 3 says, So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God. 
which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. We have, at this stage of time, upon David's death, so to speak, we have two tabernacles, one of Moses, one of David. We have a tabernacle without the ark, and we have a tabernacle, that's the tent of David, that doesn't have an outer court, don't have a holy of, don't have a most holy, don't have a holy of holies. All it has is a holiest of holies. It just has a place where the ark is. You all just follow with me. So after David died, whenever David dies, Solomon's going to go get the ark because Solomon is going to build a temple where the ark is going to be placed back in an environment, listen to me now, in an environment of ceremony and ritual. You follow me? See, over here at the tabernacle of Moses, only one time a year did a priest go into the most holy place. And he had to do that with a ceremonial sacrifice in order to get there. But when the ark is in David's tent, there's no ceremonial sacrifice taking place for the priest to get in the presence. Just, 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 just follow me here. So, 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 so we have all this. We have then in the, 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 the tabernacle of David is the ark of the covenant, which is revered as the very presence of God. He pitched this for God in Jerusalem, in Mount Zion, all right? Amen. He pitched this for him in Mount Zion. Whenever David got it, David didn't take it to the tabernacle of Moses. He didn't put it behind a veil in the tabernacle of Moses. He took it over here to his tent. And since that was the case, there was, if I could say, more free access to God in the tabernacle of David. And their means of getting in the present wasn't based upon ceremony. It was based upon what David was known for. Worship. Hmm. Worship. And praise. Moses' tabernacle getting in the presence depended upon ceremony and ritual. Let me state it like this, just, just for comparison. It depended on circumcision. Tabernacle David was dependent upon worship and praise. Over here, I'm going back and forth, okay? Over here in the tabernacle of Moses, priests are still offering ceremonial sacrifices. But they have an empty holiest of holies. They're still shedding blood and putting their quote-unquote right animals, but they couldn't enjoy the presence. Mm-hmm. Amen. But over here in David's tent and tabernacle, people are coming in with praise and worship, and they have the power. And they have the presence. Huh? It's, it's over here during the time of the tabernacle of David, folks, that, that singing and the, the music concerning in, in, interwove with the tabernacle is very greatly prominent and ingrained in the idea of the tabernacle, in the idea of the church, period. Through David. They, they dedicated this tabernacle over here, the tabernacle of David, with sacrifice. But after they dedicated it with sacrifice, there was no more sacrifices that took place over here. You went through your praise and your worship to get into his presence. 
But over here, you're still killing animals and coming to an empty holiest of holies. Someone say amen. <laughs> so over here at the tabernacle of David, it's the presence of the Lord. The people with their worship and their praise are in the presence of the Lord. People that we read, we can even read in Hebrews, now they could boldly enter to the throne room of the grace of God over here at the tabernacle of David with their worship. There's not a veil standing there between them and the presence of God. All right? So James is saying, in verse 16, he said, God will rebuild. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle. No, not of Moses, not of Solomon. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm going to make it in such a way that God's presence is accessible by all. And it's not hidden by ceremony. Mm -hmm. I want to make it more accessible to all because again, David, he's known for his worship. Read the Psalms. Read throughout the life of David. He's known for his worship. He's known for his praise. And so James is saying, God said he's going to rebuild a tabernacle, amen, that its arena, its environment, its surroundings is one of praise and worship and all people can be involved in that. Not just one man, but all people can be involved in in that and whenever this gets built what happens is this the Gentiles <laughs> doesn't have to be a Jewish man but the Gentiles not only the Jews can come and seek the Lord and praise and worship and experience the presence never in the tabernacle of Moses would you have had a Gentile going into the holies of holies experiencing the presence of the Lord never never that was for a Jew only but in the tabernacle of David he says if you come in with your sacrifice of praise and your sacrifice of worship you'll experience the presence and the power of the almighty God right. he's saying I'm going to have a church in this day and forward where people can come and experience and know the Lord Let me say this, folks. We, are, we would do horrible. We, it'd be horrible for us to nix prophecy. It'd be horrible for us to nix prophecy by trying to clamp off our praise and worship. Because he said this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be the tabernacle of David. This will be the way that people experience his presence and his power by praise and by worship. Now... Lest we think what big deal. There is a tie between worship and salvation. Yeah. Whenever Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, he said to her in verse 22 of John 4, he said, ye worship. She said, our fathers worship in this mountain. She says, ye worship, ye know not what. He says, but we know what we worship. He says, listen, he said, for salvation is of the Jews. Now watch. He says salvation is of the Jews. Jesus purposefully ties worship with salvation. Because who was the father of the Jews? Who's the father of the Jews? Who do we call the father of the Jews? Abraham. Abraham. All the way back, call him the father of the Jews. But Abraham was a part of an idolatrous part of an adulterous family read about his father Terah he was a part of an adulterous family 
He was really good about worshiping. He just needed an adjustment on the object of his worship. And as a result, Jesus says, the salvation then of the Jewish people, salvation is of the Jews. He says, the salvation of the Jewish people is based upon a heathen man. Based upon a heathen man getting his worship right. You didn't get that. You didn't get that. He says, salvation is of the Jews because a heathen man, let me put it in terms like this, a Gentile man got his worship right. Someone say amen. James understood that the salvation of the Jews wasn't based so much so upon some ceremony of circumcision, although Abraham did get circumcised to show the covenant that he was within with, with God. But he was part of that nation. He was the perpetuator of it the moment that he began to get his worship right. Mm-hmm. Someone say amen. James understood a person could reenact all of the ceremony, the literal ceremony of the tabernacle of Moses and be void of his presence. They did it when they both existed. Yet he did not refute that salvation was tied to a person's worship system. Worship was a part of the tabernacle of David. So we cannot lose, folks, the aspect of worship. We cannot lose the aspect of praise. Because if we do, and if we would ever do, we would fail prophecy. Furthermore, I say this, undoubtedly, flat-footed, if we were to lose our aspect of worship, we jeopardize our salvation. Oh, Brother McGee, bless God. Bless God. That's a bunch of hearsay. I don't know what you've been drinking. I've not been drinking anything, folks, but water. Follow with me. Verse 18. James basically mentions that God had this plan from the beginning. That's basically what he's saying. God had a plan from the beginning. God knew that there would be a day when there would be no need for ceremonial sacrifices because Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice for sin. There would be a day there would be no longer need for ceremony because Jesus would become the ultimate sacrifice. And whenever all this would take place and happen, then men, unlike the tabernacle of Moses, could be like the tabernacle of David. They could just boldly enter with their praise and worship and obtain mercy and grace and the presence of the almighty God. Where the priests usually had to enter into that place by a sacrifice. Now, by us giving our bodies a living sacrifice to God through our worship and our praise, we can enter into the presence of the Lord. Now, what does all this have to do with Acts 15? Continue reading at verse number 19. Wherefore, James, this is James speaking. He's shared all of this prophecy of Amos. Rebuilding the tabernacle of David so that the residue of men might seek the Lord and all Gentiles. The residue of men would be the residual of the residue of the Jews, but all Gentiles seek the Lord because of this tabernacle of David. Now, verse 19. Wherefore, he said, my sentence is this. Remember, we're still talking about the circumcision, not circumcision matter, right? He says, wherefore, my sentence is this, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them 
that they abstain from pollutions of idols, and from fornication, and from things strangled, and from blood. He says, wherefore. The word wherefore basically means, basically means for that cause or reason. So he stated all this stuff. He says, so for this cause and for this reason, he says there's the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David that's going to be, it's going to give a platform for the Jews, the Jews and the Gentiles to come in and seek God. It's not going to be based upon ceremony, but it's going to be based upon worship. As a result of this, he says, then this is what I think we should do, these, these four things. He's saying this in verse 19, another, another translation, New Living Bible, says it like this. He says, don't make it difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God. That's what he's saying. Is everybody doing Okay. A lot of pieces to the puzzle here, but just stay. So Amos gave the prophecy. Now let's look at the background and the setting in which Amos gave this prophecy. Listen to Pastor Knight. The background to why Amos gave the prophecy. When Amos gave the prophecy that he gave, that James is repeating in Acts, the house of Israel was backslidden. They had gone apostate. They had left God. They were in an apostate condition. For that matter, the king's of the house of Israel had continued a practice of a golden calf system, one that was located in Bethel and another that was located in Dan. King Jeroboam I is the one that got that started. And from him and every king after him had some part or portion of that golden calf system a part of their reign to some degree as it went on and on. And as a result of that, the nation of Israel has gotten more idolatrous, and more immoral because their worship system was off. Are you following me? And so, at the time that Amos prophesied, the temple of Solomon now was standing, all right? The temple of Solomon was standing, but the golden calf system among the Jewish kings, the kings of Israel, was still functioning at these two locations of Bethel and Dan. And so he stands up in that hour with all of that baloney going off and saying God is going to have a day that he is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. In other words, God is going to be, bring restoration and revival to true worship. Because they, they had false worship going on. Golden calf type of worship. Continued ever since Jeroboam in some degree happening, going on. Their worship system was messed up. He said, God is going to bring revival and restoration back to worship. And so James says, based upon this, I think there's four things. I say, what in the world? He said, there's four things that we need to write into the Gentiles that they should, that they should abstain from. Number one, they should abstain from idolatry. Number two, they need to abstain from fornication. Number three, they need to abstain from eating meats that have been animals that have been strangled because the animal that has been strangled, the blood has not been let out, so the blood remains in the animal. So that's the same as eating blood. Number four, they do not need to eat blood. Now, if we were to look at those, we were to look at those, first start looking at those, you know, one, two, well, idolatry, yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be attached to the moral law of God. You shouldn't do that, you know. Fornication, again, that seems to be the moral law of God. You know, three and four, not eating things strangled, not eating things with blood. Well, of course, you know, that'd be a stumbling block to their Jewish brethren. They wouldn't want to do that, you know. But in reality, if you want to start talking about commands, a Gentile, there's more than that that they're really going to have to, you know, do after salvation, that they're going to have to come up to snuff on. All of us have certain things, you know, we come up to snuff on after salvation. Follow me, though. 
But these four items, these four items, idolatry, fornication, abstaining from things that have been strangled and eaten blood, all four of those items, watch me now, were things that pertain to the Gentiles' worship system and practice. They were idolaters. That was a part of their worship system, serving idol, gold, wood, stone, gods. That was a part of their worship system. What about fornication? That, too, was a part of their worship system. They had temple priestess. They thought it was a very spiritual thing that you went and you did your homage into these false deities, and then you had sex with temple priestess, and that was a very spiritual matter for the God. It was about their worship system things strangled yes sacrifices they had that were strangled that blood would not let out that was a part of their worship system eating meat with blood in it again that was a part of offering sacrifices to their false gods it was a part of their worship system as a matter of fact one of the old gentlemen old scholars used to say origin what they called one of the church fathers he said whenever you ate things that were strangled with blood they called that the food of demons so we're we're talking about something that was a part of their worship system and so what James is saying here, and he's only saying four, what James is dealing with is their worship system. He's saying they need to abstain from those things. They need to release their old ways of worshiping pagan God so they can involve themselves in the ways they ought to worship the holy, almighty, king of kings, lord of lords, God. Is someone listening to me? Because you Gentiles, here's what you cannot do. You're not going to be able to add the God to the list of gods you already got. You can't go on worshiping these gods with your idolatry, fornication, eating things strangled, eating blood, and just include the God in on the list. He says it don't work like that. <laughs> it don't work. No man can serve two masters. It don't work like that. He says what they got to do is replace the way they used to worship with the way they need to worship. They got to replace their pagan idol gods with the God. Mm, someone say amen. In other words, their worship was greatly ingrained and tied to their salvation. Because you can't stay saved. You can't get the Holy Ghost and still worship and serve the things you used to worship and serve. It is impossible. There's got to be a replacement. A replacement. A replacement. Because your worship is deeply tied with your salvation. Someone say amen. He says because if you still dabble in all of that, you're going to hurt your unity with God. Gentiles, if you, if you keep practicing these things, because that's your worship system, you're going to hurt your unity with God. And for that matter, you'll hurt your unity with your brothers because you're all supposed to be a part of the church, which is the body of Christ Jesus. So he's not stamping so much so upon the idea couple of those things yes undoubtedly were seemed to be ceremonial but more importantly because all of them were an old gentile style of worship that is tied to a relationship they had with these false deities and false gods your worship is tied to your salvation 
Your worship is tied to your salvation. Note, Psalms 115. Good little verse of scripture, but again, just hitting this nail again. We're rebuilding the tabernacle, David. Okay? It's going to be rebuilt. Everybody be a flow in it. Praise and worship. Salvation. All men. Boom. Not just a select few, a certain ceremony. No. Based upon worship system, salvation. Now look, Psalms 115, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Speaking of these false gods. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone, everybody say trusteth, that trusteth in them. Now, I want to look at this word trusteth in verse number 8 because the word that is there translated trusteth, the Hebrew word that is translated trusteth, it's a Hebrew word that has the same, same root or same origin as two other words, one that's in Arabic, one that's in Aramaic, and this is what it means. To throw one down upon his face. Lie extended on the ground. A long time ago on Wednesday night, we did a series on the difference between praise and worship. The basic meaning of worship is this, to bow, to prostrate oneself. So when we're, they're using the word trusteth here, the meaning of it has everything to do with worship. Uh-huh. So if I can read this with that interjected, the people here... Notice now, the Bible says the people here are similar to the gods that they made. And the people here were similar to the gods they trusted in. Or if I may interject, the people here were similar to the gods that they worshipped. The people were like the God. The people would become like whatever God it was they worshipped. Whatever you worship will aid you in becoming more and more like it is. You hear me? Whatever you worship, it will aid you in becoming more and more like it is. That's the reason why people can have the Holy Ghost and seem like they don't have the Holy Ghost. Because their worship system's messed up. And they're becoming like they're worshiping. He says, but I'm going to build the tabernacle of David anybody who's going to be able to go in there salvation but it's going to be upon the premise of their worship Mm. wouldn't be something to become like the world sitting on an apostolic pew because your worship system is in disarray yet as I think it was in the book of Proverbs, Psalms, uh, either Solomon or David said, and it happened right in the middle of church. The most unthinkable happened right in the middle of church. That's the reason why when we are here with purpose and intent, we need to be bowing down, reverencing him as the superior and us the inferior. 
prostrating ourselves before the Lord, letting praises flow from our lips because whatever we worship is what we will become. And that's tethered to your salvation. Look at verse 21. I might be able to pull this off before an hour anyway. Hallelujah. Whew. Last day of school for kids. Some all days have a half day. Some people's leaving on vacation. Some of us still going to be in the sweatshop of the office. Praise God. But I have my times too. Amen. Verse 21. For Moses... Of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. So he says, I'm stating these four particular things for the Gentiles because they weren't raised as Jews. For that matter, they weren't raised as Christians. He said, Moses and the law, Moses, all these things were spoken every day in the synagogue. The Gentiles didn't have a synagogue. He says, so we're saying this to them because this isn't common knowledge for them. The Jews would know this information. They would know the information that the Gentiles lacked because they were exposed to it in their Jewish synagogue. So what he's saying is this. So we can't expect the Gentiles to act and live like spiritual Jews without ever having been exposed to it. For modern day, neither can we expect sinners to act and live like Christians when they have not ever been exposed to it. Here's the thing. We can't expect them to act like Christians whenever they haven't been exposed to it and when oftentimes those of us who have been exposed to it still fail in many of the same areas. Footnote. Now, now listen, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm landing the plane right here at 45. Thank you for your flight. You see the light come on, you take your light belt off. The principle here is this, for 21. You can't sanctify the Gentiles before they receive the sanctifier, the Holy Ghost. The old term used to be you can't clean the fish until you catch it. The Gentiles couldn't be sanctified until they received the sanctifier, the Holy Ghost, because it does the sanctifying. The Bible tells us, Romans 15, verse 16, Paul speaking to the church at Rome, he says that I should be minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. You don't get sanctified without the Holy Ghost. You only get sanctified with the Holy Ghost. We're sanctified by the Holy Ghost. The word sanctified means to make holy, purify, consecrate. It means to be sacred both physically and morally. None of that can happen absent the Holy Ghost. None of that can happen without the Holy Ghost. Truly happen without the Holy Ghost. And so I can't expect them to come in sanctified and having not received the sanctifier. 
for that matter, sanctification is a daily process that's taking place in all of our lives even now. You can't get them to mature until they're born. You'll stand with me tonight. The call here is a return, a return to worship. A return to worship. That's what that whole system of the tabernacle of David was all about. Folks, can you even, I mean, whenever I start to really ponder this, it is just overwhelming. It's bizarre to me to think there were two tabernacles at one time. Some people going through all the motions and the ceremony of church, but was void his presence. And others that entered in with praise and worship and had the magnificence of his presence. Man, that speaks volumes to me. How many times do I come into a place and are just going through the ritual and the formalism of church, but I'm void of his presence? But I thought, you know what, I did pretty good. I had the right sacrifice, proper thing I said. But there's other times I get to the nitty-gritty. And I go beyond the little ritual and the little formalism. And I tap in into a worshipful attitude and demeanor before the presence of God. There's his presence. There's his, there's his almighty presence. So the take home here tonight is that we need to return to worship and to remember that our salvation is very much so tied not just all-encompassed in, but very much so tied to our worship. Because you will become whatever you worship. We'll bow our heads in this place tonight. Father, I come to you this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.